Welcome to the Management Minute with Dr. Donita Brown, where we sit down with business leaders to gain valuable insights and advice on how to navigate the world of management. Whether you're a seasoned manager or just starting out, this podcast is for you. I'm Donita Brown, a professor in the College of Business at Lipscomb University. I'm also an author, speaker, and habit coach. For almost 20 years, I worked in corporate America. I managed teams of two to 102. Welcome to this week's episode. Today's guest is John Weissenseal. John, thank you for being here. Pleasure. Thank you. So we're going to start with your one-sentence bio, and I'm excited to hear what yours will contain. I'm a retired chief financial officer from Alliance Bernstein, which is a global investment manager or money manager headquartered here in Nashville, operating in uh, 27 countries, managing about $700 billion of assets, institutional money, retail money, and for private wealth individuals. And Alliance Bernstein moved to Nashville not too long ago. Is that correct? Correct. Five years ago. And I was one of the ones with the chief operating officer who coordinated the entire move of the firm here. Well, being a native Middle Tennessean, I appreciate you moving to this area. It's been wonderful. It's worked out really well for us. Good. Well, you ready to start with question number one? I am. How do your values impact your management philosophy? I would say first and foremost, there's respect. You may like the people you work with, they may like you, but really what's important is that you respect one another. Mm. And that leads to, I think, a work-life balance. You have to respect that people have a life outside of work. We don't live to work, we work to support our, our lives. And then in terms of the working environment is collaboration. You know, we, we win and we lose as a team, not as individuals. So I would seek input, incorporate my team into the decision-making and encourage them to be decisive as well. Now, work-life balance. Now, that's not something I would have thought an investment banker would have said. You know, when we first came down to Nashville five years ago and we were recruiting to hire folks locally, many of the candidates we interviewed were very concerned. Here comes a Wall Street firm. It must be 24-7 type of uh, work environment. And that was the myth that we had to dispel. Mm. And how we did that was that Alliance Bernstein has a lot of folks that have been there for many years. You know, a lot of 30-year folks 20 years is really nothing. I came there Mm. later in my career, so I spent nine years there as the CFO before I retired. But people come, there's a reason why they come and they stay. And and, and part of that is because there is a work-life balance, particularly for a Wall Street firm. Rarely are folks working on weekends and, uh, you know, people, if they need time off to go to a, a kid's ball game or something like that, we're very much tolerant of that. That's great. That is great. What about collaboration? Now, often we'll have students that say, I'm really looking forward to graduation so I don't have to do any more group projects. And I always <laughs> laugh and I say, well, life is a group project. You know, if you get married, it's going to be a group project. You know, sure. There's not anything that I, I do well that doesn't involve another person. So how do you make sure that the people you work with know how to collaborate and do it well? That's great. Look, I think it, it really starts once you get out of school and you start working because there's, there's really nothing you do in, in the work world by yourself. Right. You're either always dependent upon somebody for information to do your job, and you're also feeding information to somebody else that's using that. And, and, and a lot of times when you're, you're trying to solve a problem, it's a lot easier when you're working with a team of people than it is working by yourself. And collaboration is a lot more fun, right? It's a lot more fun to be working with somebody than to be holed up in your office, you know, tearing your hair out, trying to figure something out. Right, right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Are you ready for question number two? Sure. Okay. Who or what has had the most impact 
on your management style? I would say there's there's two folks. One, I spent actually bulk of my career at Citibank. I spent 12 years there. And uh, I had the opportunity to work for a fellow named John Gershback, who was there for about 30 years, ended up to be the CFO of Citibank. And he was the CFO for about 10 years. And by the time he retired a couple of years ago, he was the longest serving CFO on Wall Street. And what I really learned from John is John was always, um, he faced a lot of adversity during his career. And also you don't work at a global bank like Citibank without going a, a month or so without encountering some type of crisis. And just the way he would handle those different crises, always remaining calm, always very respectful of the staff and grooming the staff. And I just admired the way he kind of hung in there. And, you know, he actually was passed over twice for the CFO position and he finally got it the third time. And then he ended up being hugely successful and serving in that role for 10 years and being the, the one the, at the time, the most respected CFO on Wall Street. So that wow. was wonderful. The other fellow is a guy named Henry Hirschberg, who I was a treasurer uh, earlier in my career at the McGraw-Hill companies. And they were a great company for conducting management training and offsites and things like that. And I remember being at one management offsite for up-and-coming managers at the time. And Henry was the uh, president of McGraw-Hill Education, which was one of the three segments. They're the ones that, that published the textbooks, and many of them are college textbooks. And what Henry said to us at the time, he said, look, when you are sitting around a table trying to solve a problem and you're looking at a team, the last thing you want to see is yourself. In other words, you don't want to see somebody that looks just like you, uh, somebody that came from your background, somebody that has the same opinions, the thoughts, processes you. You want somebody that looks different. And so he was talking about, this is 15 years ago, so he was talking about diversity and inclusion before anybody that I knew was talking about it. And so I always took that then going forward that when I was trying to interview people mm. I was, and build a team, I was trying to make sure it was diverse mm. so that I was getting the input from folks into the decision-making process. That's great. That's great. When you are purposely trying to bring in people that have different thoughts from you, how do you do that? A lot of times what I'm doing is when I'm looking at a resume, if I'm recruiting, I'm trying to find somebody that's coming from a different background. So for example, for you know one of the pillars of a typical financial organization that a CFO manages is financial planning and analysis. They deal with the, the budgeting, the planning, the process. So it's not, it's always looking forward, right? So it's mm -hmm. not really the, the past, the counting, like what a controller would do. Mm -hmm. And so in the past, actually what I did is I hired an engineer to run that. Hmm. An engineer, undergrad, MBA in finance, because it's, uh, we also have a, it's very automated process, a lot of technology involved, and something where an engineer probably could do that much better than, say, somebody with an accounting background. And so I'd look at it from that perspective. I was always open to if somebody had a different background, something mm. that necessarily wasn't a typical finance background or career path. I bet that purposeful hiring has helped you in your entire career. So can you think of a time that you hired somebody that was radically different with a radically different background and it and it just served the company well? I would say that engineer, actually, okay. because what we did is at that time, we actually uh, implemented a new financial reporting system. Mm. And so he had the skills. Mm -hmm. to, I already had selected the system. It was a system that I used when I was at Standard & Poor's. I had been the CFO of Standard & Poor's before I came to Alliance Bernstein. And I came to Alliance Bernstein, and they were doing all their forecasting and modeling on Excel spreadsheets. Oh, wow. And it was just the, the amount of data that needs to be manipulated. It's just not a productive way to do it. Right. And so I had used the financial system. I had put it in place at S&P, wanted to do the same thing at Alliance Bernstein. And I knew the engineer would be able to do that as opposed to a typical just finance person. And he sure. did a wonderful job at that. 
That's fabulous. Yeah, and I love the view of diversity of being different backgrounds and not just different thought processes. Yeah, and by the way, just different backgrounds too is he was Korean nationality. He was actually raised in Mexico. Um, oh, wow. So even adds further, you know, to the diversity. And yeah, he what he brought to the table is not just his engineering skills and things like that, but also just different cultural skills. And as sure. I mentioned, you know, on the lead-in, Alliance Bernstein operates in 27 different countries and is a global organization. And so, you know, I was constantly used to managing uh, folks from different nationalities and, and, and cultures. And that also was uh, a tremendous benefit in terms of... Um, you know, when you're trying to solve a problem just to get their perspectives. Sure. Sure. Great. Thank you. Before we get to the next question, let's pause for a quick message about Lipscomb University's College of Business. Are you looking to sharpen your management skills and take your career to the next level? If so, look no further than the MBA program at Lipscomb University. Our part-time program is designed to provide you with the knowledge and the tools you need to excel in today's fast-paced business environment. Lipscomb offers both in-person and online formats that make it a perfect fit for full-time working professionals. Apply now and elevate your management skills. Learn more and apply at lipscomb.edu forward slash business. Ready for question number three? Sure. All right. What book has made the biggest impact on you? A fellow named Thomas Friedman, who was a columnist for the New York Times, he's also an economist. He wrote a book, about, I think it was about 2005, it was called The World is Flat. And what it was about, it was uh, basically the globalization of the world at the time. And he referred to 10 flatteners that flattened the world. And what we mean by a flattener is it's, it's something that would allow, for example, a third world country to compete with a first world country or a developed country. And so I think, you know, one of the, the main uh, examples in the book was about the internet, the development of the internet and the advancement in technology. And if you go back and you think about that time in history, you had this Y2K phenomena where many companies did not know what was going to happen with their systems mm, when mm-hmm. we changed from 1999 to 2000. And it could be their their financial systems. It could be the banking payment systems for the world. It could be the credit card payment systems. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And so folks had to basically invest in resources in the late 90s to revisit all of their and test their systems. And there really wasn't enough people in the U.S. to do that, technology people. And so at the time with the growth of the internet, there were other countries that jumped in and helped out. And one was India. And you know, India had a lot of great engineers and technicians and, and software folks, and not necessarily the, the infrastructure from a building perspective, but they had the access to the internet. And so from that, American companies were actually able to outsource or out- offshore the function of reviewing their systems to make sure that they were Y2K compliant. And so Friedman then goes on to talk about, you know, the Netscape browser that was a flattener, as well as offshoring, outsourcing, and the fall of the Berlin Wall in terms of unifying Germany. So I just found it as like a fascinating book because at the time, it's when I, you know, personally for work was starting to do a lot of traveling globally and starting to manage a lot of uh, employees that were based outside the United States. Sure, sure. That That does sound like a fascinating book. All right, ready for my favorite part of the podcast? Sure. Okay. So it's 60 seconds, rapid fire questions. You get one pass. Your job is to see how many you can answer. Okay. All right, let's do it. What's the most valuable lesson you've learned? Um, don't uh, expect others to do what you wouldn't do yourself. What, what would be your superhero power if you could have one? Um, foresight, eyesight. What's something that never fails to make you happy? Being with my family. What's your favorite comfort food? Uh, pizza. Pizza. 
Do you have any pets? No. Where would you like to travel? Uh, to African Safari. What would you like to learn about? Um, what makes uh, people tick? What sport do you enjoy watching? Football. What's the title of the last song you listened to? Um, it was uh, uh, The Boys of Fall. What's a talent you wish you had? I wish I could uh, be a musician. What's your favorite TV show? Um, it's the News Hour, PBS News Hour. All right, that's a good one to end on. Now your job is to give parting advice to managers. So, what's the best advice you could give to a manager? My best advice would be to be empathetic and to um, not ask folks to do anything that you would not do yourself. With a new hire, how do you kind of teach them to do that? Or you've got a new manager, how would you share that skill with them to be empathetic? Well, it's it's listening. It's okay. kind of listening, particularly if they're new on the job, and to explain to them that, you know, my office door is open. In fact, when we moved <laughs> to... Um, Nashville, we didn't have offices. We went to open plan. Mm. And so I would encourage them to just come forward and ask me whatever question, whenever they want. Wow. And how did you do that being the CFO? I mean, I would think that if I were working for you and you said that, I would think I'm going to definitely cash in on that. So how did you make sure that you could carve out time to do the important work as a CFO of Alliance Bernstein, but also have that listening ear for the people that sure. wanted to take advantage? Well, I'd get in early and okay. so I'd, I'd be at my desk by seven o'clock. And so usually the first hour of the day was uninterrupted mm-hmm. and very productive time. And typically the last hour of the day would, would be that way as well. So those that was kind of my Bookends. productive time. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the day, you know, it's just, it was like running office hours. Sure. Type of thing. Sure. Well, John, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Danita. Thanks for listening to the Management Minute. We hope you enjoyed this week's interview. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. If you have suggestions for future guests, please send me their contact information to donita.brown at lipscomb.edu. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you. This podcast is powered by the College of Business Content Creation Studio at Lipscomb University.